0: If you will, turn in your Bibles to the fourth chapter, of the Gospel of Matthew, as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember that Jesus's public ministry now begins. It, it began as Jesus made his way there from Galilee, from Nazareth, and he comes down to the Jordan River. And you remember that it was there at the Jordan River where John the Baptist had showed up. The nation hadn't seen a, a prophet in over four hundred years, and and suddenly John bursts onto the scene as the forerunner of the Messiah. His message was a message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and he was declaring that the Messiah was about to, to emerge onto the scene and to Prepare your hearts, get yourselves uh, right uh, with uh, God. And and so John baptizing there, you'll remember that people were coming from uh, all over to be baptized from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding area, and even up into Galilee to see this fiery prophet uh, now who was preaching this repentance. And, And suddenly you'll remember as John is baptizing there in the the waters Jesus himself shows up and stands before him to be baptized and you remember John's reluctance and and how he says am I to baptize you you're the one that should be baptizing me and you remember that Jesus said suffer for it to be so for now that all righteousness may be fulfilled, and and so John goes ahead and he baptizes in Jesus, and and you remember as Jesus comes up out of the water, there was a a dove that descends upon Jesus and uh, alights upon him, and and we see that there was the father's approval. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, and and Jesus uh, now emerges out of those waters john had been being asked if he himself was the uh, messiah and and you'll remember that he said i am not uh, the messiah there is one coming after me that uh, that is so much greater than me uh, of whose uh, sandal i'm not even worthy to unlatch and so Jesus emerges out of the uh, the baptismal waters uh, there of the Jordan River, and and we're gonna find now and. Matthew's gospel that he is going to immediately be led by the Spirit up into the Judean wilderness. He is going to go fast and, and pray for a period of uh, 40 days. Uh, the beginning of Christ's ministry is a time of separation, a time of isolation, a time of communing uh, with the Father, just just spending that in time just uninterrupted in the in the wilderness the Judean wilderness if you ever get to Israel it is it is barren and craggy and rugged and and it was there from the Jordan River that Jesus heads up at the end of which we are going to see that Satan is going to come in and tempt Jesus and and so we are going to look at these temptations. It begins here, this fourth chapter, with the first verse that says, "...then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness." to be tempted by the devil. And and so we see that at the end of this time spent in communion with the Father, we see that the enemy is right there to tempt uh, Jesus. And and how oftentimes in our own lives, after we have had these glorious, uh, intimate moments with the Lord, we we find that Satan is right there to try and and snatch away that intimacy and, and stumble us or trip us. We see here that Matthew says that he was tempted by the the devil. And we see that that is one of Satan's most common names, the the devil. That word devil means accuser. It means a slanderer. And, And we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We See that in Scripture, is many other names. He is called the ruler of this uh, world. He is called the prince of the power of the air. And he is called the god of this uh, world. He is called the serpent of old. He is called the deceiver. He is called... Abaddon and Apollyon and, uh, and both of those uh, mean destroyer. And uh, and so and here we see that uh, Satan uh, now is going to uh, attempt uh, to tempt uh, Jesus. In verse 2 it says, "...and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterward mm, he was hungry." And so for 40 days and 40 nights, we see that Jesus was fasting there in the wilderness. Moses also, when he received the law up on Mount Sinai, it was 40 days and 40 nights there on the mountain with God. And Jesus was fasting. It was a time of just communing with the Father. And it says, and afterwards he was hungry. Now, physiologists will tell us that uh, in the beginning, if you are doing a, a full-on fast, that uh, after a relatively short period of time, that you will lose your hunger pangs, and uh, and so you go through a period where you're just not hungry any longer, but uh, when the body moves to the point of starvation, that the hunger will be reignited as the body attempts uh, now self-preservation, and so here where it tells us that at the end that he is now hungry we see that jesus is in a weakened state physiologically his body having undergone the uh, the fast And, and now there is this tremendous hunger drive that kicks in to preserve the body seeking to preserve itself and and so it says in verse three and now when the tempter came to him he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. We see that Satan arrives onto the scene, and, and you'll remember that this isn't the first time that Jesus has seen Satan. They go all the way back to creation. You remember that, that Satan is a created being, and, uh, and so many believe that he was the anointed cherubim over worship in the in the heavens and and Jesus watched as satan led a rebellion against God and he even took a third of the angels in that rebellion he also was there and watched uh, satan as uh, satan deceived uh, eve and adam and eve fell there in the garden and and now we see that in his earthly ministry satan shows up again and and here we see that he he tells them that if you are truly god incarnate if you truly are the uh, messiah the then certainly you have the power to be able to take and and turn these stones into bread jesus is is hungry the hunger pangs now are ferocious within his body and and in my mind no doubt there are a bunch of rocks that look like rolls <laughs> that certainly the, all you need to do is to just change these into a nice warm bun and you'll be able to appease your uh, your hunger and uh, and so the uh, the temptation now to use the power if if you do have power if you are who you think that you are who you say that you are then then Take your power, use a little bit of it to be able to bring provision for yourself. Take care of yourself. And and so here we see that Jesus is going to respond. But he answered and said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We see that Jesus uh, quotes uh, Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, the uh, Word of God, and and so this coming from Deuteronomy 8:3 that it is better to obey God's word than to satisfy our fleshly desires and and so uh, we see that the enemy now is is having Jesus to to trust in his own sufficiency rather than in the provision of the Father the sufficiency of uh, of God And so, here we see the the quoting of the Word of God. In verse 5 it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Takes him to Jerusalem, the, the holy city, the pinnacle of the temple up top uh, here, and we see that uh, he now invites him to cast yourself off, jump off if you if you are the son of God, then God will not allow any harm to come to you. And, and certainly the angels, the word of God says that the angels will protect you lest you even dash your foot. He's telling him, look, you're beginning your ministry. You're at the start of your ministry. And, and if you jump off of the top of the temple, and the people see you being floated down by angels and set into the middle safely at the bottom think of the impact that that will have and how much that will jump start your ministry here he he, he suddenly has become jesus's promoter uh, now and is suggesting this this publicity stunt uh, here and And we see here that Jesus uh, once again is going to use uh, Scripture. But I want you to notice that in the first temptation, uh, when he tempts him to turn the bread, the rock, into bread, that Jesus quotes Scripture. So notice what Satan does immediately in the second temptation. Satan quotes scripture. He immediately goes to scripture. He says, okay, you want to quote scripture? Uh, let's quote scripture. Let's look at this. And, and now he takes the word of God and uses it. But I want you to know something, a couple of things. Number one, Satan knows the scriptures backwards and forwards. Amen? So know this, that he, he knows the, the word of God. He is not unfamiliar with the word of God. But here is what Satan is a master of. He is a master at taking it out of context. He is a master at misusing Scripture. Here we see that he does use Scripture with Jesus in this second temptation. But even in the Scripture that he uses, he takes it out of context, number one. And secondly, he's quoting out of Psalm 91. He's quoting out of verses 11 and 12. But he leaves an important line out. He deletes a line and he connects two. Verses minus it to be able to look like it says uh, something different than what it says in its original context. Now, Psalm 91. Verses 11 and 12 says this, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, remember that Jesus always walked in the ways that please the uh, the Father. That he has given his angels to help you, to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So we see here that now that Satan removes that line of submission to the will of the Father in that verse and basically says that God will protect you no matter what you do. Well, The verse never says that if you are presumptive with God and you presume upon Him that that God is going to keep you safe. But uh, once again, we see the the deceit by omission, leaving out, twisting, and changing the meaning. And so one of the most important things, I believe, is in studying the Word of God that you might know the context of the uh, Word of God, that you understand the meaning, where it's coming from, who they're writing it to what the context of the uh, the scripture is and and that really is going to protect us because you can have false doctrine that's based on the word of God. They will take verses out of context. They will string them together and and make it appear that the Bible is saying things that that it does not say. And you you know, you can by snipping verses out of context, you can get the Bible to say just about anything. You take two verses and and put them together. Judas went out and hung himself and and taken Another verse, go therefore and do likewise. <laughs> you know, and suddenly now you have, you know, false doctrine here based on the uh, the Word of God. So here we see that handling the Word of God, study to show yourself approval, a, a workman that need not be ashamed, being able to rightly divide the Word of God. And Satan here takes the scriptures and he twists them with Jesus and he tempts them now to presume upon the father and and jesus verse 7 jesus said to him it is written you shall not tempt the lord your god and so uh, here we see that jesus again quotes from the scriptures deuteronomy 6 16 and uh, and so it wouldn't be proper to test god and to do something that is outside of his will in verse 8 again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so Satan now drops the pretense and he, he comes to the, to the real issue. Satan wants to be worshipped. That's what led to the rebellion there in heaven. The worship that was being given to God, he wanted that. He coveted that. He desired uh, to be uh, worshipped. And, uh, and so we see here that now he wants it in Jesus to worship him. All the false religions are the worship ultimately of Satan, who is behind the false uh, religions of the uh, world and, and the counter Fit religions, and here we see that now his desire is to have Jesus worship him. What does he say that he will give him in return? He says, all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I know why you're here. You're here to redeem the world. You're here to get the title deed of the earth back. You remember that when God had created the earth and he put Adam and Eve there and he gave them dominion over the whole earth. He gave them the the title deed to the earth. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They uh, obeyed Satan, and and now Satan became their master. Whom you obey, uh, him you make his master. And so they made uh, Satan their master. Now, a master owns the possessions of the slave, and so that title deed that was Adam and Eve's now was forfeited over to Satan. Satan says, you want to redeem the world. I've got the title deed. I will hand it to you right now. You, you can have this. Notice that Jesus isn't going to dispute that, uh, that Satan has all the kingdoms of the, uh, of the world. There is no uh, argument there. But this is what Satan is saying. You, you don't need to go to the cross. You, you don't need to go through this entire exercise. You, you want to redeem the world? Here's the world. I will give it to you just. Real quick, bow down and worship me. That that that's all it's going to take and and I will give you what you want. We see that Satan is always promising shortcuts, God has called us to follow after him, to be obedient to his will in our life. And, and Satan is a seeking constantly to unhinge us in our commitment to God and to seek a, a different avenue to accomplish what it is that we desire. We see in the first temptation, he he suggested that Jesus should just use the power for himself. Selfishness, self-exaltation, taking care of yourself. Second, he talked about what God should be doing for you. And third, now, he suggests what he can do for Jesus. In verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only you shall serve. And, and then the devil left him, and behold, angels, they came and ministered to, and to him. And the Father sent the angels to go and to minister to Jesus. Satan had said, look, it there's no provision from the Father, take care of yourself. But the Father sent the provision, the angels came and, and ministered to him in, in God's uh, timing. And so we see the the temptations here, three different uh, attempts. uh, And and we recognize and understand that in our own lives, we are also going to experience temptation. How did Jesus overcome the temptations? What can we learn from those temptations? A, if Jesus was tempted, you can be best assured that you're going to be tempted. That's number one. Secondly, temptation is not sin. Temptation, being tempted into sin, is not sin. Jesus was sinless. He was tempted, but uh, but he never sinned. He never succumbed to sin, and and so don't let the enemy condemn you for a temptation. But remember also that god has given us provision to be able to be victorious over temptation greater is he who is in you than he who is uh, in the world and you were meant to be an overcomer and you were meant to go from victory to victory to victory ultimately uh, into glory and and so here we see that in jesus uh, now He demonstrated and showed and and gave us that path for us to follow after him by simply resisting the enemy. The Bible tells us that when you resist the enemy, that he will will flee, that he will depart. But know this, he will depart, but he will return. Uh, He will come back again at another opportune time. Notice uh, here that he comes at a time when Jesus was physically weak. uh, There are two times that we can be especially susceptible to temptation in our lives, and and that is when we are at our highs and when we are at our um, lows. Those um, times where you're just killing it and crushing it are times that we can become um, careless and we can stumble. The enemy is seeking those uh, opportunities to, uh, to come in. And then also when you're very low, when you're suffering, when you are weak, when you are ill. The enemy will kick you when you are down and seek to try and draw you away from your relationship with God. And so... Also, it is important for us to recognize that as we look at the temptations, this battle, you know, where Satan was seeking to thwart Jesus in his ministry. Notice the timing. He he goes after Jesus right at the beginning of the ministry, right when it's just getting started, and and so there is that susceptibility that when we are in new seasons just beginning, that the enemy will will seek to come in, and also we see that. That uh, that Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all ways, uh, in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so, uh, here again, he understands our uh, our weakness. He understands temptation as he himself was tempted in in all points, just as uh, we are. And so Jesus now is going to come back out of the wilderness, and and he will return back to the Jordan River. His ministry will be parallel to John the Baptist. Jesus will be down the river from where John is, and and he will begin baptizing, not him but his disciples there in the uh, the river, and, and begin to build and teach and and, and instruct. And and this period of time that we see was roughly about a year. The first year of Jesus' ministry was in parallel to John the Baptist's ministry. And and then we are going to see in verse 12, it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. So we see that Matthew takes us through the baptism and the the temptation of Jesus and then jumps forward all the way in verse 12 to where it says that now John was put into prison and so there was a lot that happened in that first year of Jesus's ministry there was the wedding in Cana the first miracle that took place there was the temple cleansing that took place there was the conversation with Nicodemus that took place. There was the Samaritan woman at the well that took place. All of these events took place between the the baptism of, of Jesus and then ultimately his departure, John's arrest. John becomes a a target of King Herod because John had begun to speak out publicly against King Herod's activities. King Herod had taken his brother's wife, who also was his niece, and made her his wife. And John was talking about how this is an illegal marriage, and he was denouncing their marriage. and, And there with the crowds publicly, Herod is being denounced. And so Herod wants to silence John the Baptist's voice. And and so he has him uh, arrested and thrown into prison in his fortress there in Macherus. It it was at this point in time when Herod rises up against John the Baptist that Jesus now is going to depart from the Jordan River there, the plains outside of Jericho. and, And he is going to return back now to Galilee. It says, And leaving Nazareth, verse 13, He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and uh, Naphtali, and, uh, and that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death light has dawned. We see that once again, Matthew is concerned with showing you the prophecies that are being fulfilled, the, the puzzle pieces of prophecy that fit together to form the portrait of, uh, of the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. That is the purpose uh, of Matthew's gospel, and he arranges it accordingly. Jesus' center of his ministry during his public ministry was Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. Now, Zebulun and Naphtali, those are the two of the original twelve tribes. And and those two tribes were centered. uh, The land that they were given as they came into the promised land was right around the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, here we see that Matthew shows them uh, that the prophecy that was given to Isaiah uh, was about the fact that the great light was going to come right into this region. And Capernaum was the uh, very place that Jesus uh, operated out of in his earthly ministry. And so once again, uh, we see that Matthew is pointing us to another prophecy fulfilled, another box that is checked. And it says, and from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand. So uh, at John's uh, arrest, Jesus uh, moves up now to Capernaum and and begins his ministry around the the Sea of Galilee there And, uh, and once again calling people unto repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near, it is right now. Jesus was establishing the kingdom of heaven here upon earth and inviting people to enter into, to his kingdom his wasn't a physical kingdom it was a spiritual kingdom it is the kingdom of uh, of god and so uh, repent draw near the kingdom uh, is at hand in verse 18 it says in jesus walking by the sea of galilee saw two brothers simon called peter and andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen Jesus uh, walks along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and and there is uh, Andrew and, and Peter. Andrew you will remember that Andrew was originally uh, he was a, a disciple of John the Baptist uh, and Andrew was uh, there at the s- shores of the Jordan River when Jesus walked by and uh, and John the Baptist says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and uh, and he Points his disciples uh, over to Jesus. Andrew goes uh, over and uh, and speaks with um, Jesus and and becomes a disciple of uh, Jesus. And he goes and gets him Peter, his brother, and uh, and brings him to him. And all of these events have taken place uh, long before they were together at the wedding there in Cana. They know each other, but uh, here we see that now Jesus is going to move his relationship to a a calling now upon them he he is going to call them to come and to be a part of his uh, earthly ministry and here he says and then he said to them verse 19 follow me and i will make you fishers of uh, of men We see here that now suddenly they are in their profession, they are businessmen, they have an enterprise, a fishing enterprise that is successful on the Sea of Galilee, and and we see that Jesus is now calling them out of their uh, occupation, out of their vocation to come and to follow him. It says in verse 20, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Notice the timing of their obedience. It was e- immediate. When is the best time to obey God? Yeah. Now, immediately. That is always the, uh, the very best in the time to uh, respond to God and to uh, obey him. And, uh, and Jesus now invites them and they just simply immediately left their nets and followed. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And and once again, the immediately. And so we see the call of the four fishermen there, the two sets of brothers that Jesus invites now to come and to be a, a part of of his ministry in verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And so he, he comes teaching, preaching, and, and healing. Look at the three parts of Jesus's ministry. He is teaching them about the Father. He is preaching the, the kingdom, he is healing the sick, the infirmed, all kinds of sickness and all kinds of, uh, of disease among the people. There was no limitation to Jesus' capacity to be able to heal the infirmed. And when people began to find out that there was hope, there was hope in Jesus for the hopeless. Regardless of what illness you had, Jesus was capable of curing it. As he began to cure, then the word began to just rocket out from there. That if you've got someone who is sick with any sickness, if you've got someone with a disease, any type of disease, Jesus is healing people. And and suddenly now they were coming from miles and even a hundred miles plus to be able to bring their sick to Jesus. And as Jesus would meet them in the physical realm, he would teach them and talk to them and minister to them about the spiritual realm. It says, then his fame went throughout all Syria And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed and epileptics and paralytics and and he healed them. And so, demon possession, he was healing those and and then, in addition to that he he was taking care of diseases and epileptics and paralytics and and so, whether it was spiritual and demonic, whether it was emotional and nervous or whether it was a, a physical disease, we see that Jesus was now touching them and healing them. Jesus was able to overpower whatever evil afflicted those who came to him. And I want you to know that that Jesus is doing the same thing today. Jesus is able to overpower whatever evil afflicts you today. Whether it is emotional, whether it is physical, whether it is spiritual. Whatever your need is, know this, that that Christ uh, is touching and healing and helping And so know that his power has no limit. He has all authority that has been given uh, unto him. And and Jesus here was demonstrating that power. And that power is still being demonstrated today. It says in verse 25 that great multitudes followed him. From Galilee, that was the region where he was. And from the Decapolis, that was uh, over on the uh, eastern side of the uh, Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee and and Jerusalem and Judea and and even beyond uh, the Jordan. And so the towns, the locations that are named here in verse 25, that, that's more than a hundred mile radius that the people were coming. Matthew just simply says great multitudes. Not just a multitude, but great crowds, great, great numbers of people were, uh, were coming. And, and they would literally walk hundreds of miles to be able to come and to see Jesus. And, and so as the crowds and the popularity increases of Jesus' ministry, he begins to call an inner core group of disciples. Twelve and, uh, in totality will be the, the inner group of his disciples. And, and here Matthew records the, the first of four that Jesus calls As we close our study, I want to draw our attention for just a a moment uh, here in verse 19. It says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of, of men. It was the following after Jesus. Follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Are you a follower of uh, Jesus? It's, it's interesting because when Jesus asked them, invited them to follow him, it, it wasn't a first introduction. They had already had an introduction. They already knew of uh, Jesus. They had even gone and, and visited uh, him, and, and they had been around him and been uh, associated and affiliated with him person can be around Jesus, they can come to church, they can know the stories of uh, Jesus, and, and yet we see that there was now a, a following after. Following after. For us as believers, how do we follow Jesus. There was a a new level of intimacy. It it was now into a a full-time capacity here that Jesus was inviting them into the, uh, the ministry. But I believe that in that there is also something for us to kind of take a look at in our life. And that is our relationship with Jesus. Does our life revolve around Jesus? They had known of Jesus, but they were living their own life. But now Jesus was uh, inviting them to a deeper level of discipleship, a deeper level of, uh, of commitment. And, and so how do we follow Jesus? Does that mean that we're all called by Jesus into full-time ministry? No. It's not the full-time ministry aspect. It is the relational component of following me that stood out. How do we follow Jesus? I think that we follow Jesus when we make him an integral part of our day-to-day life. When we make him an integral part. You see, Jesus wasn't an integral part of their day-to-day life when they were fishermen and and they knew of Jesus and they had had some time with Jesus, but but he hadn't moved into first place in, in their life. When he invites them to follow him, Every single day they're going to wake up and and their life is going to be centered around what Jesus is going to have for them that that day. They are going to start each and every day by seeking Jesus. what's the plan for today? I don't know. We have to ask jesus jesus what is what is the plan? They had gone from planning their own life to now being directed by jesus on a on a daily basis and and so it starts by seeking Him every single day at the start of the day. And then what was their purpose? Their purpose after seeking Him was serving Him. Serving Him. Lord, what would you have for us to do today? And so, serving the Lord on a daily basis. And, and then at the end of the day, thanking the Lord for the day that, uh, that we have had. And, and I believe that if you're going to follow Jesus, I think that those are really the three component and pieces, that, that when you start your day, when you wake up in the morning, do you say, good morning, Jesus? Do you greet the Lord? Do you greet God each and every day and, and start with an acknowledgement of, uh, of Him? and secondly seeking what is your will for me today what what do you have for for me today when you do your devotions in the morning that is seeking the lord that is beginning by saying good morning god i want to invite you to even actually say good morning out loud to god and don't worry if other people in your household hear you say that, that, that you're greeting God and uh, good morning. Good morning, God. Thank you for mm, today. And seeking Him through the Word of God. Taking that mm, spiritual manna and partaking of it. And, and here's what, what I would encourage you to do. Have a piece of paper and a, and a pencil next to you when you do your devotions. And ask God, while you're doing your devotions, God, speak to me. Tell me anything that you would have me to do today. Is there anything that you would like? I will set aside my agenda to accomplish your will today. And then as you just do your devotion, just concentrate on your devotion. See what the Lord says to you. And how oftentimes the Lord will say, you should call so-and-so. You should reach out to so-and-so. Do you remember this? And, and, and suddenly now, as I'm just doing my devotions, it's people that he starts to put onto your heart, and you just start to make a, a, a notation of uh, of that. Pay attention to where your thoughts go and the things that you think about when you're doing your devotion. You've asked God to speak to you. And now pay attention. Those aren't random thoughts necessarily. And those and people that are suddenly put onto your heart are brought to your remembrance for no reason whatsoever. But they're connected maybe to what you're reading. And, and suddenly you you remember somebody. And, and those are the ways in which we are presenting ourselves in the morning. And then we're seeking how to serve him. Second thing is to be aware throughout the day that, God, I've got the things that I've got planned, but interrupt me at any point in the course of the, of the day. And to reach out and to touch, to love, to call, to take the, uh, the love of God and to flow through us on, onto others. And, and at the end of the day, take a moment to thank God, to thank the Lord for the blessings of each and every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and, and be glad. I love what, uh, what Matt said earlier when he talked about the fact of learning how to dance in the sunshine and learning how to dance in the, uh, in the rain. Because a day that we have fulfilled the call of God in our life is a day worth uh, celebrating and rejoicing in that. Rejoicing in obedience in, to the Lord. Follow me does it mean full-time ministry for everybody no but does it mean full-time awareness of the lord in our life yes and we begin by cultivating that uh, with an awareness start off by greeting him start off by getting connected and seeking him spend the day serving him in whatever opportunities and capacities you have for goodness for kindness for love. And then at the end of the day, thank him for his provision of grace that saw you through this day. We're never going to have this day again. This is the, the day and then it is gone. So we want to be able to live it and following after Jesus and the footsteps that he laid down for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. What a joy, what a privilege to be able to minister love, to touch people with kindness and goodness and, and gentleness, with generosity and with your love, with your favor. God, show us who needs a touch, who's... Uh, hurting who who we can help how we can serve you what would you have us to do and and lord impress those upon our hearts our our ears are open your servants are listening lord now direct us as you will for your glory and help us to follow you it's in jesus holy and precious name we pray amen